podcasting from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, known as the City of Bridges. This is Knights of the Revolutionary Leader, conversations of influence and change. I am your host, Christy Knights, C-suite executive coach, psychotherapist, professional speaker, and best-selling author, the revolutionary leader in business and life. Hello, and welcome to Knights of the Revolutionary Leader podcast. This is the show for people who desire to grow emotionally and lead a life of joy and happiness. And it's all about leveraging truly who you are. On this episode, have you ever struggled with just the curiosity of how you are feeling, how to find those who truly respect you, get you, really understand who you are? Do you ever wonder if you're the person in the room that isn't liked or perhaps has the issue? Today on this show, you will learn how to unlock your human potential, how to lead into a room with that confidence and that curiosity, leveraging it to learn and love from others. This week, let me introduce you to the Knight of Nobility, Courage, Authenticity, and a revolutionary leader, Dr. Diane Hamilton. She is a nationally syndicated radio host, speaker, moderator, consultant, author, and educator. She has an amazing radio show at drdianehamiltonradio.com. On this show, she showcases successful individuals, including C-suite executives, Time Magazine's most influential people of the world, Forbes 30 Under 30 inductees, Mobile, excuse me, Nobel Peace Prize nominees, New York Times and Wall Street Journal best-selling authors, and other successful individuals who share their stories and insights. Through her work as the MBA program chair at Forbes School of Business and at several other universities, she has taught more than a thousand business courses. She is a PhD in business management and a certified Myers-Briggs MBTI and emotional intelligence EQI instructor. She is the creator of the Curious Code Index, which determines factors that impact curiosity. You can find that information at curiositycode.com. Top companies, including Forbes, have hired her to speak to groups to improve employee relationships, increase engagement, improve productivity, and reduce conflict. Her professional background includes experience in the following industries, software, computers, corporate training, pharmaceuticals, real estate, mortgage lending, social media, education, and publishing. She is the author of multiple books, one of which was required reading at a technical university titled, It's Not You, It's Your Personality. Her next book, Cracking the Code of Curiosity, The Key to Unlocking Human Potential, is due to be published in late 2018. Welcome. Welcome, Dr. Diane Hamilton. How are you today? Well, I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. This is going to be fun. Absolutely. It is wonderful to have you on the show. So share with me a little bit about yourself here on Revolutionary Leader. We like to get down and dirty very quick. So share with us, growing up, what were some of your struggles, some of the things you felt were an adversity that you overcame? Well, you know, everybody's got their uh, different things that they, that kind of um, impact them in their youth. And actually, I studied that for my book, uh, Cracking the Curiosity Code, has four factors that I found were uh, impactful to whether you're curious or not. And I developed the Curiosity Code Index to, to measure those four factors. And they include some of the things that happen in your childhood, which um, the four factors that uh, impact curiosity are fear, 
assumptions, technology, and environment. So a lot of the assumptions and environment aspects are based on our youth and even the fear, of course, because if you're when you're young, if something happened that traumatized you, you're, you're not going to be interested in going that direction again. <laughs> you've kind of said, no, that's a bad thing. And then you've got this, this, this thought process in your head. Right. And then if you have this assumption, basically, um, in your mind that something is in your childhood would be boring or not interesting, or you've come up with these ideas of what you think about things, you won't be curious and you won't develop that mindset. And then also, you know, your environment, if you have a family or a teacher or a friend or somebody who's led you down certain paths that, that maybe cause you to have, um, you know, a different kind of sense of what you think would be good or bad. So I think we've all gone through that when, when you're young. You know, you there's certain things maybe make you more traumatized than others. But, you know, I just I was never um, a person that probably would have liked to go into the medical field, for example, because I was very squeamish as a kid. You know, it was mm-hmm. very it's funny because I married a plastic <laughs> surgeon and everything he has to look at all day is all the stuff oh, great. I, I would never want to look at. And, and, <laughs> and so it, it's kind of interesting the, the directions you go. And, I, and it's funny that now I would almost find it interesting to go into what he, he goes and what he's done. I, I've overcome those kind of fears that I had as a child, but I think we all have things that kind of scare us or, or intimidate us when we're young. And I, I'm no different than anyone else in that respect. And I think that it helps to kind of force yourself around situations that made you uncomfortable in your youth in, in yes. little bits, you know, and realize that this is a kind of an irrational fear. This is an irrational thing that I'm older now and it doesn't have to scare me or intimidate me anymore. And that's what I'm trying to accomplish a lot uh, with my, um, the CCI instrument. When I measure what's holding people back, I give them guidelines and and an action plan and and information for how to move forward. Yeah, absolutely. What would you say is something that, held you back whenever you were younger that you've worked through? I think for me, environment was pretty big because I was the youngest of three kids. So I was so much younger than my siblings. My um, The next older sibling was my sister was five years older and then my brother was eight and a half years older. And I was raised in a very competitive family. So you had to win at everything. And it's really hard to win when you're at least five years younger than everybody else. <laughs> And so you, you just kind of got used to losing a lot. And it was kind of traumatic, I think, <laughs> when everything yeah. was based on how good you were uh, at playing games or, you know what I mean? So I think that right. that was a challenge. It made me ultra competitive. But everyone in my family was just, just this, you know, super competitive as well. Yes. But I, I think that it was hard uh, kind of being, it almost kind of made you feel like you're an only child when you're that much younger than everybody mm-hmm. else. Because you can't really hang with them until you're older. So I I, I think that was probably more difficult. I was bored a lot as a child. Um, I I, I still get bored easily, which is interesting. I I have to be. (laughs) I can teach maybe 20 courses at once, where most people will teach one to four courses or something online. I'll teach 20, you know, and then I'll have this going on and that going on. I have to keep my mind really occupied. I, I think I was always that way. And yeah, I think I and I was just I can remember just being a child thinking, wow, I got to do something else. And 
I would play um, school and different things that I do now as a teacher. Now it's funny that I ended up being a teacher because I never wanted to be, but I would do things that mm-hmm. I, similar to what I do now to keep my mind occupied. And I think that's what led to my interest in curiosity because I'm, I, to me, it, it fascinates me when I talk to somebody and they say they're never bored, but they don't really do anything. And I'm thinking, are, are you bored? Why do I go crazy to me? <laughs> yes. Yes. Are, have you been able to see whenever we can't quiet the mind as entrepreneurs, as leaders, what can be some negative effects of that? Well, I think it's easy to get in a nested loop, as we used to call it when I used to program. You just go round and round and round chasing your tail with the same thought. You know what I mean? And you got to break that thought. And sometimes it, it takes starting up a different task, a different um, mindset of something to, to get you out of that loop. And that can be hard mm-hmm. for people because especially if something seems like it's falling off the cliff at the moment, you, you don't want to put it off to the side until you solved it. Yeah. But sometimes you have to get away, even if it's for a few minutes, uh, to exercise, to do something else, to just, mm-hmm. re- I know for me, sometimes I feel like I work so hard that my brain starts to hurt. Like, <laughs> like I'm going to hurt myself if I think about one more thing that that's when I, I, I go exercise. Because uh, it kind of just the endorphins and everything else, it, it just helps. And it helps to just look at something or read something uh, that isn't work-related while you do it. Um, mm-hmm. Just kind of mm-hmm. give yourself a t- time for your brain to refresh. Yeah, absolutely. And exercise is so beneficial. I can remember when I was in college and I was in a jacuzzi tub relaxing, but I also was studying and reading my phone at the same time. And I had that moment where I thought, my goodness, you can't just relax. You have to be doing something all the time. And just that ability, and I still struggle with that, Mm -hmm. just the ability to sit in the quiet with nothing can be very challenging, right? I don't do well with that. I I (laughs) went to an event last week (laughs) where it was a mindset, you know, uh, not Tony Robbins, but one of those kind of things, you know, where they get Mm -hmm. motivated. But they started at the beginning with a meditation. So everybody had to close their eyes and, you know, and yes. that makes me kind of nervous. I don't, re- I don't re- uh, respond like most people do, even though I can do meditation mm-hmm. on my own and be fine. If I'm forced into it in a setting like that, it kind of makes me uncomfortable. I, I don't like to do group meditation. Maybe, maybe that's the thing, but uh, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people like that. I mean, if you go to yoga classes, it's real common for everybody to, to get into that. Right. I, I prefer to do meditation by myself. Yes, yes. Whenever you do meditate and you permit your mind to just go quiet, where does it usually go? I don't know if it ever goes quiet, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> still uh, working on that. <laughs> yeah, we're still working on that. Um, Great. I, You know, it makes me, it depends what time of day we're talking about. You know, if it's before I'm trying to go to sleep, what makes me calm is to think of a dream or something that I had the night before. I tend to listen to books. Uh, Mm-hmm. Uh, different yes. audiobooks on tape at night to calm myself. I, I listened to Neil deGrasse Tyson. Uh, he's got mm-hmm. a book called Death by Black Hole, which was so not business oriented, of course. And yeah. But it, it's a distraction to me because it's so interesting and yet complicated that it kind of just maybe it just confuses your mind so much because it's so hard. It just puts you to sleep eventually. Right. But I love that <laughs> book. It's like the best audiobook if you want to relax. And it's funny because I listened to it for so many times in so many years that when the, the narrator on it is Dion Graham, 
And I actually had Dion on my show and it was so fun because <laughs> I listened to him so many times. And then we ended up being friends after getting to know each other. But uh, I think Neil does his own books now. But I think that I need to, it's almost like if you get a song in your head, you got to listen to a different song mm-hmm. to kind of get rid of that original song. I think that's kind of how I am with just my mind. I don't know if it ever goes completely blank, but I could go to a more calming song. So coming from a highly competitive family, it makes sense that you're just as equally driven, right? And being able to keep up with that. Whenever you think about mom and dad, what are some of the life lessons that they taught you that you still use today? Uh, You know, my dad would always say, you live your heaven and hell on earth. You know, like basically, Mm -hmm. you know, do good things, good things will happen to you. Do bad things, bad things will happen to you. He he was an interesting guy because he was born... legally blind. He had 2% vision. And so, but he was really motivated to learn a lot. And so I think I do a lot of learning, um, you know, and those types of things I've, I've gained from, from him because he talked about multitasking. He, when you said all that made me think of my father, what you did in the jacuzzi, Mm. that's what he would be doing 10 things at once. (laughs) (laughs) My mom was more of the, um, generous and thoughtful, person, you know, and I think that a lot of the, the ethical things I, I got more from her. My dad wasn't super mm. ethical. <laughs> he would be like happy if you tripped <laughs> the guy next to you to win the contest. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Survival of the fittest. That's what I tell my children. <laughs> so you do get different things from different members of your family. Uh, my father's no longer here, but my mother is. And uh, I still learn things all the time from, you know, from her. And you you embrace what you, what you do based on your childhood, but as you get older, you tend to go, oh, well, maybe they aren't right. I could try this. And, and that's what I'm trying to do with the curiosity thing is to make you realize that just maybe your family all wanted you to be uh, a broadcaster or a, a, a golfer or whatever it is, you know, and maybe that really isn't what you wanted to do. And maybe that's their interest. And I, and I think a lot of people have shut their mind off to different ra- ra- you know, routes they could have taken with their life based on their family. And, and, Very yeah, true. and, I, and I want them to explore that possibility. What, what did you like when you were young? As you became curious about that, what did you discover about yourself? Well, you know, I am certified to give a lot of uh, personality tests, like the EQI, mm-hmm. emotional intelligence. I had to get certified for that because I wrote my doctoral dissertation on that. And so when I yeah. when I went through that process, I, I learned a lot about self-assessment. So I have done a lot of self-assessment because <laughs> I've mm-hmm. had to. Because, you know, my, <laughs> it can be good and bad. <laughs> you know, it was in to learning how to yeah. So I, I don't think I found out a lot about my own personality and things from this as much as I learned about other and I, other people. And I think that that's what I'm trying to do is have people do more of the self-assessing that I've been doing throughout my life, because I, yes. I think that a lot of people don't do that and they don't really mm-hmm. uh, reflect or do personal SWOT analysis or whatever it is that, you know, people do to, mm-hmm. to think about mm-hmm. what makes them unique and different. And I think that some of the personality tests were useful. Um, like, you know, to find out if you're an introvert or an extrovert or if you're this or that. But a lot of them don't, I mean, they might tell you what you are, but they don't really tell you how to improve in some respects. Yeah. And that's what I was trying to get at. I, I could have created an assessment that just measured if you're curious or not, but I didn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. I wanted to find out what holds you back 
and how do you go forward? And yeah. boy, that was hard because <laughs> I had to, to learn uh, factor analysis and a lot of statistical testing um, to get mm-hmm. it to be something that was very, um, you know, effective and, and useful for people. And so I, I can't say that I did learn a lot about me so much as what impacts other people's curiosity was, you know, that was a very enlightening to me. Okay. Okay, very good. And I think as leaders, as what I consider a revolutionary leader is very much in line in what you're speaking about and studying. There is such power in vulnerability and authenticity with those we lead. The willingness to say, hey, look, I went through this too. And this is what I struggled with. You're going to be okay. You are not alone. Teaching them value and teaching them that intrinsic value and how to grow increases profit and productivity. So we lead by example. Through all of your training and through the work that you've done, was there a time where you felt like, oh my gosh, I'm going to lose my mind, whether it was high levels of stress, anxiety, depression, or just a poor mindset? Are you able to speak to us on that? Well, you know, I think we all get into jobs that maybe are something we need at the time that we don't really love that it fits what, mm-hmm. what our um, needs are at the moment. Um, I, I, I really wasn't thrilled with being a pharmaceutical rep in the day. And I can remember mm-hmm. thinking on Sunday night, I would just wake up every think about the next day going, Oh, I don't want to do this, you know, the next day, but it was such a great job for being able to be with my children because they were young. Right. So there's times you give up one thing to have something else. And, but then I, I remember this is just, that was just a job that just wasn't matched to what I really wanted to be doing in my life. And, it's, and I still have dreams that I'm doing it. I wake up and I'm like, Oh, I'm so glad I'm not doing that. <laughs> right. It's such a great job for most people. It was just not for me. You know what I mean? It just wasn't a good match. So I, I would yeah. say probably maybe because I just, anything that you're in for 20 years of a company of so long, I think it was 15 years in the pharmaceutical division, you know, and I was with that company 20 years. Mm-hmm. It was a great company. I just think I, as hyper as I am and as driven as I, as I am, that being in anything that long um, just pushed me to a point where I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. And uh, I, and I, I wanted to reinvent myself. And I actually left that being at the top of my game to going to something I knew nothing about. And I just felt so energized by learning something completely new and completely mm-hmm. different. I love that feeling. So I have to say that that was probably um, a point where I just wasn't happy uh, in my what I was doing, and I should have left earlier. When you were unhappy, how did that play out in your life? Well, I, I think you kind of just coast. You don't really you exist instead of live. You know what I mean? You don't look for new opportunities. You don't look for things to explore for your levels of curiosity. You just get your paycheck and you just go on and every day kind of just leads into the next. And it kind of, I'm sure it leads to some kind of a low level depression. You don't even know that you have, you know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. uh, I I, I can't say that it did, but you know, you, you just don't really have that, that energy to just try something new and explore. And I, I, I don't think that, I mean, there's some people that are, happy doing the same thing year after year after year. And I've done, mm-hmm. actually I've taught um, courses, online courses for 11, 12 years or something now. And, okay. but it's not, 
the, my sole focus of my entire day. You know what I mean? And I, I am able to enrich my mind by doing different things. And I think that's what's really important to keep people from getting depressed and mm-hmm. getting, uh, feeling like they're out of control. I see a lot of people that justify what they're doing. And I, I you know, you, you hear the example of, you know, you're giving away moments of your life. Is it worth giving up that much of your time or that part of your life for this thing that you're doing? And that's mm-hmm. easy to say when you, you put it on paper, like, yeah, I don't want to do that. But then you, you need to make money, right? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yes. So there's, there is some, you have to do a little bit of what you don't like in order to end up where you, right. you know, I know that there's a lot of talk, talk about younger generations expect to be at the top right away. And you can't always mm-hmm. be at the top right away. And I don't know if that's true that they all believe that, you know, that's a media ploy to get interesting articles because I meet a lot of millennials. Of that you've got to pay the piper sometimes to, to, to do well, but right. there are more opportunities now than I've ever seen in my career of, where you can do mm. something different and better. And for me, having the ability to work virtually is huge. If I had had that when I was young, I mean, I, it, it makes me wonder what opportunities I would have gotten into because if I work at home, I work 10 times more than if I work somewhere else because you just, you know, I'll sit down at 4.30 in the morning. I may not get up again until 6 p.m. And I'll, I, I really get focused on what I'm doing. Absolutely. And I think that's part of the entrepreneurial mind as well. Can you speak about, (laughs) oh my goodness. Yes. And I've, I've said that to, to Jeff, even Uh I said, I lay awake at night and I think of all of these amazing ideas. Uh I'm like, I don't know what to do with them. I'm sorry. I'm emailing them all to you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure he loves it though. Probably gives him ideas. Um, You know, yeah. I I actually just sent him an idea for our call that we're having today, which is so funny. Yeah, I think of ideas for Jeff too. So we, we need to get on that on his payroll for that. We, we got to talk Absolutely. to him about that. <laughs> right, you tell yeah, him that. That's so funny. You know, clearly you have this level of resilience. I can hear it. Just this thread of resilience through your life. Can you talk to our audience about how you really captivated that radical mindset in order to continue moving forward and not get sucked down? I, you know, I was raised in a family where, you I mean, like I said, it was so competitive. You weren't, it was like, just don't be a wet blanket. You better be, you know, better be happy. Don't, you know what I mean? It was to the point, like, if you're, it's the worst thing you could probably tell somebody, you know, like, just toughen up and suck it up. Right. You know what I mean? And Suck it up, buttercup. Yeah, yeah there, there's no sibling, you know, it's that kind of a, a family. So, that was, you know, if you go into a psychologist, they probably go, oh, oh, they probably roll their eyes and think that's the worst thing you can do. But it actually kind of strengthened me in some respects, you know, to, to realize that you just, you've got to pull it up, pull it together. You can do it. I have never really um, seen anybody whose family was like that, you know, as much as mine was growing up. All my friends had more, you know, traditional kind of settings. I sometimes when I watch mm. the um, movie uh, Wedding Crashers when I see when they're oh, yeah. playing football in the backyard by the lake kind of thing. That was how I saw my family. It was that type, you know, like you, the guy would just slam you. It didn't matter. They try so hard to win the game. It didn't matter if they hurt you or whatever. You know, it was just a super competitive. <laughs> so I, I guess because I had to always pick myself up. I guess um, as a child that I I, I kind of had that natural resiliency. I think a lot of people look at things as really hard. Like, 
oh, life is so hard. And I'll look at it and I'll think, well, that's, that will take you five minutes. What do you, you know? And, but to them, right. they'll, I, mm-hmm. I remember a girl who worked for me, I would assign her something and she called me very upset, emotional. Like, I can't, I don't have time. And, then, and while we were talking on the phone, I mean, five, 10 minutes, she'd already done it. But she yes. overwhelmed her mind with how hard it was going to be. And it really wasn't. It was all perception. Perception's fascinating to, to look at. It is. And what's easy to some person is is just overwhelming to the next. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's part of, I'm sure, the studying that you have been doing. Can you share with our audience what led you to your career today, to be a speaker, an author, a host? Well, you know, all of the jobs I had, um, everything just kept leading to the next. You know, I worked in selling computers. I love technology. And um, mm-hmm. I wanted to get back into that after I left pharmaceuticals. And so I started to um, advance my education. I ended up with my PhD and I loved teaching online. So I was teaching online for a mm-hmm. while. I was the MBA program chair at the Forbes School of Business. And at, in that uh, job, you know, I, I had a lot of interaction with Steve Forbes and a lot of great people from the Forbes team. And I was interviewing billionaires like Ken Fisher and editors of John Tamney and, and Olin Odekoven, just really amazing people as part of that job. And I really loved the interviewing aspect of what I was doing, but I didn't want to be the MBA program chair anymore. I was more interested in going back to speaking and consulting and, and doing more of that. And so when I left, uh, I was trying to get more interviews on my website um, for speaking, and I hadn't been interviewed for a while, so I had somebody interview me. And after we, was at, after we were done, I said, well, you're a you know, nationally syndicated radio host. That's kind of cool. How did you get that? And we started talking. And there was a position in, in, in the radio station, and I thought, well, I'll try to do that for a while. And then hundreds and hundreds of interviews later, <laughs> here I am. You know? and, but I still do my speaking and consulting. But... What really interested me while I was interviewing all these people and after teaching more than a thousand business courses and all the things that I've done, I thought, wow, I just meet some people that are, who are really curious and interesting. Mm-hmm. And how can I share that with other people? And then I started thinking I need to write another book because I've written several books in the past about personality assessment type things. Like it's not you, it's your personality was one. Uh, and so I'd written these books and I thought, well, what this next book, I would like to know why people aren't more curious. Maybe I'll write about curiosity. And then as I was mm-hmm. writing it, I'm thinking, well, it's not enough to have just a book about curiosity. Because mm-hmm. I didn't think, <laughs> yes, of right, course not. <laughs> right. I wanted to make it because everybody's got their books now. Right. And I'm thinking, what can I do to help people? And that's when I decided I wanted to create the curiosity code index because I thought, you know, that's really what's going to set it apart from just reading about drive or motivation or curiosity or anything else that you can read about. And so that's kind of where what led me to this. That is amazing. Can you talk to us a little bit about your book, It's Not You, It's Your Personality? I love this uh, one. Yeah, that was a while back. I wrote that one with my daughter, Tony Rothblitz, and I wrote that. Um, it, at the time, I was working with an agent when we to write a book about um, finance and, and different things. And I wasn't really interested in, she wanted me to be like Susie Orman, you know, and I, I thought I'm not that much of a financial <laughs> yeah. person to, to just only write about that. So uh, I started writing other books. I wrote one about online education and how to reinvent your career. And, and then I thought, well, a personality book would be interesting to me just because of my dissertation and all the things I had to study for that. Right. So I, my agent at the time was really interested in 
the, the format being really irreverent because Skinny Bitch was a popular book at the time. And yes. I don't really write in an irreverent tone. I mean, it's kind of sarcastic and yes. rude. You know, it's just, it's not really my tone. Right. So I got together with my young daughter, uh, who was in college age, I think at the time. And I said, you know, you're all going to do some content and you can kind of make it like that, you know, irreverent. And so she did, and it was fun because we got to work on it together, and it was meant for the young adult. It, it, it was uh, something I used as part of a course curriculum at a uh, university here in Arizona. It was required reading, and it was fun to teach uh, courses because it included things like, you know, MBTI and strengths finders and DISC and, you know, every personality test you could think of we, we wrote about. And so it was fun. It was part of a foresight course. So uh, it helped people think about the future of being proactive. Very cool. I love it. So can you talk to us about what services you offer, what, how to get a hold of you, how to reach you, um, so that if someone would like to hire you for services, they can do that. And then we'll have a few more questions and wrap up. Well, thank you. Um, you know, I have my main site, which is drdianehamilton.com. My new book and uh, CCI instrument will be at curiositycode.com. You can find me just about anywhere, um, Twitter, everything. My handle is Dr. Diane Hamilton. That's D-R-D-I-A-N-E-H-A-M-I-L-T-O-N. I I do a lot of speaking and consulting and training. I'm going to be doing a lot more with curiosity and a lot of consultants. I'm going to start looking with working with them to get them certified to give the CCI. Yeah, because I think a lot of consultants could do uh, a lot of things. I mean, they, they do the DISC and different profiles, but I think a lot of organizations are focused right now on innovation, engagement, and productivity, and all those types of things. And that's what uh, Curiosity helps to, to, to improve. So we're going to be working with consultants and CEOs and HR professionals to help them uh, improve Curiosity in the workplace. I absolutely love it. Thank you. So. If you were to give us like a mantra that our audience could use to keep them centered, focused, and laser moving forward, what would be a mantra that you use? Just, you know, it's kind of the Nike thing. You just keep telling yourself you can do it. It's, it's not that hard. It's your, it's your mind telling you you can't do something or something's difficult. It's, it's just perception. If you can look past what you think how difficult something is and just do baby steps towards achieving it and not think of the overall big picture. Like my doctoral students used to freak out thinking about writing their dissertation. But if you just think of chapter one and paragraph one and start at the beginning, right? You you don't have to write the whole 200 page thing right now. And it's that any goal Mm -hmm. that way, it's baby steps to quote, uh, what about Bob? You know, (laughs) it's it's baby steps. And you just, you, you have to, not overwhelm yourself with thinking about how big it is because anybody who's written a book or started a company will tell you if they knew what was going to come, they probably wouldn't have done it. And it's just discovering it slowly that makes it be uh, the better experience, I think. Right. Absolutely. What makes a revolutionary leader for me also is someone who is willing to commit their life to service, service of others. And there is this beautiful thread along your life that I can hear the generosity. Can you share with our audience the impact of serving others on your business? Well, it's, it's been amazing because just the show, you know, is something that I've, inter- I've interacted with some of the most amazing people. And, you know, I don't charge people to be on my show. I, I have uh, 
a, a following that just it, it shares so much content with so many people that I, I think it's just mm. when you give somebody something for nothing, you get you get so much back and you're not I wasn't even thinking of what I was would get from this. Uh, I can't say I was thinking, you know, oh, I want to get X, Y, Z out of this. I just thought it would be fun to, to, to do this, to learn and to develop and to to share everybody's knowledge with everybody else. And so it's been something that has really enriched my life. Mm, absolutely. Very good. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Diane Hamilton, for being here on Knights of the Revolutionary Leader podcast. I really appreciate your time and the wisdom that you have shared with us. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. This has been fun. Thank you for listening to Knights of the Revolutionary Leader, conversations of influence and change. Each show, we bring you a guest of revolutionary influence by living a life of nobility, courage, and authenticity. To meet other Knights of the Round Table or to be a guest on this show, go to ChristyKnights.com. Join us next week as we cross the bridge to meet the next Knight to join the Round Table of Revolutionary Leaders of Influence and Change. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.